0: This will not stand. That, that be justice for all.
1: Human rights are women's rights. Change the world! <laughs>
0: The Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, very pleased today to be speaking with Gina Moore of BuzzFeed, who just returned from a reporting trip to Liberia, where she was really on the front lines of Liberia's fight against the Ebola epidemic. And she wrote a series of just tremendous articles from Liberia that offered context and texture to the country's struggle against the Ebola outbreak. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded in conjunction with Blogging Heads, which is a website interview series that I participate in. Uh and we talk about the toll that Ebola is taking in Liberia, uh, and how the fear of Ebola in many ways is outstripping or more consequential than the actual impact of the virus itself. You'll hear in this conversation a little more of me talking because this was, as I said, uh, recorded in conjunction with Blogginghead, so you'll get a little more of my opinion, my take on things, but Gina is a fantastic reporter and writer. And I was so pleased to hear her perspective on what's going on. Remember to subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes and you can find every episode on UN Dispatch. Here it is, my conversation with reporter Gina Moore. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary lanyon from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across one hundred and eighty countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: certainly think that the fear of the disease is shaping everything about the reality in Liberia right now and it's also true that um, in terms of sort of population reach while the outbreak is the biggest in the world that the, the biggest that the world has ever seen of Ebola um, while it's the first in West Africa um, and it's Terribly deadly and a horrible thing to, to, to not to minimize it in any way, um, but it affects a small portion of the population. Sure.
0: Um, We're talking and, about uh, hundreds of people in Liberia who have succumbed <laughs> to the disease, not like tens right, of thousands.
1: Right, several hundreds, um, but yes, not tens of thousands. And um, there, there is. Uh, beginning to be, I think, some more awareness than there was of how the disease is transmitted, how to avoid catching it, even if you are exposed to it. And by exposed, I mean if you are living in the same household as someone who has the disease and is symptomatic, or has the disease and, and dies of it. Um, but but certainly, the fear of it has really gripped uh, everything about reality in Liberia. There, are, you know, there are no schools. All the schools are closed. All the government offices are closed. Most of the health centers are closed to any kind of illness at all, including things that generally affect and sometimes kill far more people than Ebola does, especially in the rainy season.
0: Well, that's exactly Um, I think one of the big points that I drew from from your article about the shuttering of a maternity ward in a hospital in Monrovia was was precisely that you know this hospital is closed because of a fear of Ebola, but. In the meantime, women were dying from complications of pregnancy that possibly they might not otherwise have died from had they been able to reach this hospital, right?
1: That's right. And it's not just that one particular hospital. The hospital um, that was in the piece was was Redemption Hospital. Um, But the maternity ward at the JFK Memorial Hospital, which is the biggest one in in the country, was closed. Uh, Other health centers where they deliver babies a lot of the time were closed. Um, And and in that particular case, the one that I wrote about um, at the top of that piece, private clinics that were open sort of to see patients and maybe sell them aspirin, weren't able to deal with some of the, the complicated problems that came up. Uh, and, and pregnancy is just one example of some of the complications or health issues that many people are having that are fairly banal, so to say, uh, relative to everyday existence, uh, that, that, that are really becoming mortal in a way that they wouldn't have been last year at this time.
0: And You know, Liberia like, like has one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the world already. So if, if you're putting up more barriers to access to care, it seems that, you know, you know it's not, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's too far-fetched to speculate that is, you know, if this drags on much longer, maybe, you know, more women will probably die from, you know, complications for pregnancy than from Ebola.
1: It's possible, although a great number of the people who are dying of Ebola are women. So that, I mean, if one is to sort of, you know, roll out the numbers in a a speculative fashion, there would probably be some adjustments to to make for for, for that, for the gender burden of the disease. Um, But it's also important to say that while a lot of health centers are still closed, there are places that are trying to open, trying to offer services, trying to stay open. Um, uh, JFK's uh, maternity ward opened again two weeks ago. And this hospital had closed because its top doctor died of Ebola, contracting Ebola from a patient that that no one knew was was positive. And this is a story that repeats in a lot of health facilities in Liberia. So there really was, while I think the effects of this are still being felt, and there are a lot of clinics and health centers that are still closed, um, there there was a sort of, this all comes out of a particular moment where suddenly uh, this Ebola crisis really infiltrated hospitals in a way that. People weren't expecting, um, weren't entirely prepared for. And the reaction at facility after facility was to sort of shut down, completely hit reset, and figure out what to do next. And in some cases, what to do next has been to reopen in limited ways. So, JFK, for instance, where Liberia's sort of best known physician at all um, had been practicing and and had contracted and died of Ebola, reopened uh, with its maternity ward reopening first and for emergency cases. Um, Now, it's still a very quiet place. Um, there there aren't tons and tons of patients coming in, uh, but the morning that I was there, there were about 40 women who were typically clients of, of that hospital who were there for, for their usual prenatal exams, uh, which also shows you, I think, that people, while they're afraid—and I'm talking of ordinary Liberians now— while they're afraid and nervous about the disease and also about health centers, because that's an incubation spot for the disease or has been, um, you know, they, they also know what they, they need and, and they'd like to be able to get it in terms of health care.
0: hmm and and this uh, you know what you describe i think speaks to something that i'm sort of deeply you know fearful about um for for the people of liberia and i you know I, i've i've been to some of the hospitals you mentioned i've been to the jfk hospital and redemption hospital on various reporting trips and it's you know worth pointing out that you know it kind of goes without saying that these are uh, very rudimentary hospitals you know by yeah. western standards right that these are basically buildings with beds and you know some equipment um Nothing, nothing at all, you know, like we, you or I uh, in the West would consider a, a hospital. Um, you know, that just sort of speaks to the fragility of Liberia's health system in general before the Ebola outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it seems like one of my you know, deepest concerns is that, you know, or I should say one of the key questions I have about the Ebola outbreak going forward is whether or not, uh, the Health System will totally collapse before Ebola is brought under control, or whether Ebola can be brought under control before the health System totally collapses. Do you think i 'm being hyperbolic at all or or you know how do you how do you foresee this playing out?
1: Well, uh, part of me is always reluctant to to have conversations, especially in moments like this, that seem to involve a bit of global panic about um, realities. To say, oh, what we're talking about could be the total collapse of X, right? Because the fact of the matter is that the system—the system—is the system not working. Um, whether you call that a collapse or not, I guess, is sort of, you know, in the eye of the beholder. But uh, certainly, there are there are not there are by and large not health centers for people to go to. When they have general ordinary health problems, um, it's difficult to find some medicines in Liberia. Um, you know, part of that is maybe a run on some kinds of medicine. Part of that is there are no more flights to Liberia, by and large. It's, there are still some flights to Liberia, but nothing like there was before, which affects supply chains and um, movement of goods and people and experts and all these things. So so everything about this panic, um, both the, the sort of real threat and the imagined panic has lots and lots of ripple effects on the health system and sort of reality more broadly. Um, But I also think that it is true that, that, in terms of Ebola specifically, the health system cannot deal. And I'm not speaking just of the Liberian health system, which, of course, was ill-prepared to deal with a threat that it had never seen before. It's no surprise that doctors didn't know what they were dealing with because the disease had never appeared in West Africa, let alone in Liberia, before. Um, But even Doctors Without Borders yesterday issued a statement saying hey, guys, we can't do all this on our own. This is not working. The international community is not here for this country in a real way. And if we're serious about getting this under control, more needs to be done, both you know, internally inside the country with the limitations they now face and the restraints they now face because of the disease and globally.
0: Uh, so you, you uh, mentioned a really important issue, which is flights in and out of Liberia. And also, uh, I should say in and out of Sierra Leone uh, and to a lesser extent Guinea, um, how did you get to Liberia?
1: I got I flew to Liberia from Nairobi on Kenya Airways and at the time I flew Kenya Airways was insisting that it would never shut its flights down um It was totally comfortable flying and I, I happened to do a lot of reporting only a very tiny slice of whichever made it into one of the stories I did about the Ebola before I went to Liberia I had done several um, about this whole like airline phenomenon right this idea that oh my god, why wouldn't you shut flights down from these places because Obviously, a bowl of passengers can get on a plane, and that's terrifying. And the risk of that happening is so infinitesimally small that all the experts had long been saying, we really don't need to make a whole lot of flight pattern adjustments. We don't need to be talking about closing airports, all of these things. And um, there's a, uh, you know, the way there's a a U.N. body for everything, basically. There's a a civilian aviation uh, U.N. sort of organizing body that has a subcommittee that deals with, public health threats and emerging diseases Mm -hmm. um, that has fantastic experts on how to respond to these things, what to do if you're Air France and you fly to Hong Kong in the middle of SARS, for example, right? Like People have thought about this, and there are protocols in place, and there are some very good protocols in place for how to deal with a disease like Ebola that, compared to something like SARS, which is airborne, is much less risky in a sort of contained airplane environment. Um, And everyone had been saying, look, this is okay, this is manageable, we can do this. But the fear that's engendered in the populations that read the news and that kind of thing was just astronomical. I don't know if you remember this moment, but it was probably like um, early-ish August, maybe the first sort of full week of August. Everyone in the world was getting an Ebola test if they'd been anywhere near Africa or had thought mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and they happened to get a little bit of fever. There were some people who'd been in Sierra Leone and and, and in Guinea and Nigeria who went back to Europe and said, oh, I don't feel so well." Can I please get a test. There was one guy I read about in Birmingham in the UK who'd been in Benin and transferred through Charles de Gaulle and said, oh my God, I need an Ebola test. That's the level of panic that people had. That story is is very similar to a lot of stories, made the news. And so that kind of thing sets in people's mind. And we saw a similar thing in the press in Kenya, where I live. Um, Oh my God, someone from Hong Kong came through Kenya. Did they have Ebola or not? Oh my God, who from Liberia has come to Kenya recently? And so what happened eventually was that um, Kenya Airways was under too much pressure from members of parliament about continuing to operate, and so they suspended operations. And, and That's just is, one story about one airline.
0: Well, and, and it's manifesting itself on the big international airlines uh, based in Europe. In the based in Europe, right? So Air France yeah. just yesterday suspended its flights to Sierra Leone. Mm. Uh, British Airways, uh, which has this like. I think it's like a Heathrow, Conakry to Monrovia route that I took, suspended their, airlines, their their flight a long time ago. I think there is one single solitary airline, Air Morocco, Royal Air Morocco, that still continues to travel to the region uninterrupted. SM, but Brussels. Like, SM uh, we, Brussels
1: also flies to Monrovia, at uh, least Brussels, as uh, of like a week ago.
0: Well, so th- this brings up an interesting point. So one of the most important human beings on the planet – Responsible for the, you know, containment of the outbreak of Ebola, Dr. Thomas Frieden, the head of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, had his Brussels airway flight canceled to Sierra Leone last week and, you know, had his trip delayed. Yeah,
1: you know... I don't actually know a whole lot about what's going on internally at Brussels Airways because originally my flight out of Liberia was also on Brussels and there was like all kinds of commotion and then there were no flights available. Mm -hmm. And so I think it might be a demand issue actually, because the irony being there are fewer and fewer and fewer airlines and more and more people from not, you know, journalism, but also public health, um, NGOs, this whole world of response that need to get commercial flights to these places. So there's this strange thing going on in this sort of ticket marketplace too.
0: I mean, this was the head of the CDC who had his flight canceled uh, right. to Sierra Leone on Monday when he was trying to, you know, make a trip to the region to help organize a response. And this, and, and you, you've heard, you know, the top UN official dealing with the coordination of the UN system and dealing with um, the uh, Ebola outbreak saying, basically, you know, do not cancel your flights. As you said earlier, there is an infinitesimal chance of contracting and spreading Ebola via airlines, and by canceling flights, you are making our job, the job of containing the outbreak much, much more difficult. Uh, and it's also, you know, undermining, you know, the long slog of, of economic development and, uh, you know, that the people of Liberia and, and these countries have, have been, um, you know, have been undergoing since the end of the Civil War. And I wanted to actually take this moment to transition and maybe just kind of give people a brief history of Sierra Leone, maybe, uh, and sort of put this Ebola outbreak into the context of that history. Um, you are in a much better position to do it than I. Uh, but suffice it to say, a civil war ended in about 2003, right? Um, yeah, yeah,
1: Liberia. We're speaking. Yeah, of Liberia, in Liberia. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Civil war ended in Liberia in 2003. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, Africa's first female head of state, is president. Has been president. Nobel laureate. Uh, and things have been, you know, steadily improving uh, in Liberia since then. Uh, in terms of like security and uh, economic development, why don't you sort of take it from here?
1: Sure. I mean, I I, I am in no way uh, any more of an expert on this than than you are. Probably, you may even know more about it than I do. But um... probably not. <laughs> we can we can debate the uh, the merits of our ignorance uh, uh, afterwards um, or the, or the extent of our ignorance not the merits um, but but certainly since the end of, of the Civil war Liberia has been um, trying to climb back to um, a, 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 competitive space, you might say, but that may even be overstating it. I mean, something resembling sort of stability, right? Um, And the security issues in Liberia is not unique in this regard um, from any other uh, uh, post-conflict country, whether in Africa or otherwise. The first, the first concern is security, day-to-day con- security of communities, of homes, of, of individuals. And that takes some time. That always takes some time to happen anywhere. And then after that, you can sort of see a place moving on to, to kind of uh, the next step. Sierra, Sierra Leone, similarly, um, was in a situation of war, actually a war that spilled over into Sierra Leone from Liberia. And so they do have this in common. And you could see, you know, even four or five years ago, both countries really sort of arriving at a, a sort of next step of, of being able to tackle the challenges of fighting poverty, building basic infrastructure, offering basic services. Uh, this certainly it, it has put a dent in that. Not, not I don't think, re, not primarily, let's say that, not primarily because the airline disruption, you know, foils the economies and that sort of thing, which, which, which can be true. But I think more because the response in both countries to this crisis has been a full on halt to everything. There is no such thing as business as usual in Liberia right now. There is no such thing as business as usual from what I understand in Sierra Leone right now. Uh, basic movements inside the country are restricted. Counties are quarantined in Monrovia. There are parts of the city that are, are quarantined. Um, And, you know, that's all sort of in the name of trying to make sure the disease doesn't spread. But that also means no one is doing anything else. All the ministries in Liberia are closed. And when I was there, the president um, had issued a plea, and there were all these pleas on the radio all the time, for people who worked for the government basically to loan their cars back to the government for Ebola response. Uh, Certainly the need for vehicles was, was, was huge. I mean, this is really the thing, the only thing that anyone is doing right now. And and that kind of single-minded focus, uh, while hopefully helps fight the disease, certainly makes it difficult to run a country in any semblance of the word in any other way.
0: And I know the, the African Development Bank put out this report uh, this week, you know, saying that the economic toll of the Ebola outbreak could be just devastating in terms of like lost foreign investment and also lost productivity um, based on sort of the fear and, and sort of, as you said, the, the, the halting of business as usual. Um, and, you know, at least like from a UN perspective, both Liberia and Sierra Leone are seen as something of a success story because it wasn't that long ago, 10, 15 years ago, that these two countries were like the epicenter were arguably like the most horrific places on the planet with just a brutal civil war full of like, you know, all of the, the sort of worst imagery you can imagine, you know, mutilated limbs and, and uh, rampant sexual violence. But now, here we are, you know, 15 years later, and at least in Sierra Leone, there was a peacekeeping mission there that, you know, it, that didn't need to be there anymore. So they transitioned out. And that's like the ultimate success for UN peacekeeping is if they can actually leave a country in the hands of local uh, authorities, which they're able to successfully do last year. In Liberia, there's still a a peacekeeping mission, though uh, it's you know smaller, and its like role is is no longer kind of that day to day security stuff. So in both you know instances, like you said, I mean this would these were two countries that were you know all pointed in the right direction, and the Ebola outbreak has sort of seemingly seems to threaten to halt that progress.
1: Yeah, or or at least it's a coda to to progress or to some progress, right? I mean. It, you're right about, uh, i obviously right about um, everything you've just said in terms of uh, progress that's been made and yet drawing down of the, the UN peacekeeping mission in Sierra Leone, peace building mission in Sierra Leone, was um, a, a fairly big deal uh, in terms of, you know, Sierra Leone's own moments in history. Um, certainly a, a drawdown of the peacekeeping mission in Liberia would be still similarly celebrated, I think, both inside and, and outside Liberia. Um but these are also countries with some significant challenges too, right? There's there's a fair degree of foreign investment in Liberia. Liberia is not resource poor. It has things people want. It has timber. It has rubber. It has um, land being cleared for palm oil plantations. It has a lot of uh, reasons that folks might want to come and invest some money. And most of the time, people who are looking to make major investments in emerging markets take long views. And, you know, even, even the UN thinking about airlines has taken a long view of, of what's going on in, in, in West Africa. I, I don't know that we know yet that Ebola is going to stymie the economic growth, the macroeconomic growth, of these countries, in the way that that, that a lot of doomsayers are saying. I, it, it could go either way. I mean, I, I'm I'm not an expert. I'm just saying that I don't think we know that that's true yet, and I think it is probably still a little too early to have much confidence about that. I do think, and something that we know is true, is that these. Liberia, in any event, is um, uh, a challenged country, but also a fairly corrupt country. There's been a a rather sizable uh, sum of foreign dollars invested um, as aid or as as bilateral uh, donor money. Into, for example, the health sector in Liberia. And you could visit in 2009 and you could visit in 2012, as I did, and not necessarily see a whole lot of change. And I think now, when people look at um, what's going on in Liberia, there are a lot of hard questions also being asked about that. Whoa, not that that money would have helped prepare you for Ebola, but hey, where exactly did all that money go? Um, now's not necessarily the time to get distracted by those questions. I mean, only to suggest that this is not really, you know, only a story of countries on a rosy path toward progress and now, oh no, there's this distraction. Um, and I, I, you can see in Liberia, in the sort of day-to-day of conversation, the political manipulation of, variations of those narratives, right? And on the other side, too, you can see people manipulating the Ebola story to sort of try and um, uh, undermine the president or, the, or, or her administration as well. Um, I mean, only to suggest that it's a very complicated reality and whichever thread you happen to pick up of it has political resonance on one side or another.
0: Thank you all for listening. Uh, I have some great episodes of Global Dispatches coming up, great interviews lined up with some really impressive and interesting figures in foreign policy. So subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss an episode, and we'll see you later. Bye.